this is the day before Christmas. When people get this ep- this episode, it will be after, after Christmas. So if we are extra festive, we apologize. After this, we get, we're going to run over and do an open man at the gym, get some nice Christmas rolls in. Wish you had a Santa Claus gi. That would be cool. Have you ever seen a Santa Claus gi? No, but Marcio rocks a red gi. Oh, I saw. Yeah, you posted. You hid yeah. the red gi and the Santa hat. Yep. That's that's. I like I like him getting into the whole festive attitude. Maybe we could play like some reindeer games at Open Mat today. I don't know what that is, but no. I don't. I don't either. But they say in the Rudolph song song reindeer games. So. Oh, I, let's not do that. Like reindeer hide and go seek or pin the tail on the reindeer, maybe. Wow, you came up with those pretty quick for somebody who didn't know what they were. <laughs> <laughs> or reindeer strip poker. That, that sounds hot, doesn't it? In a room full of dudes, no. Okay, this is episode 48 of the Just Jiu-Jitsu podcast. I am Andrew Desimone with... Kryler Gracie. And our episode today is going to be on collar chokes. We've, we've done a episode on chokes in general. Today it will be collar chokes. Oh, exactly what do you mean collar chokes? Because technically every choke was a collar choke, unless you're doing like, you know, no-gi-based chokes. Well, would... A guillotine or a rear naked choke be those would be like a, those would be like a no gibis chokes those would be like you know arm on neck chokes kind of thing so that's what I think when I when I think of a collar choke I think of very specifically using the lapel the collar well, oh so you don't you're not set into a particular collar choke just no. collar chokes in general collar chokes in general oh gotcha okay. yeah so that would exclude the Previously stated chokes or like a triangle, right. those kinds of things. Right. Okay, that's fine. And for me, collar chokes are the most brutal of chokes. They can be, for sure. I mean, there are some wicked ones. And you recently have been on a kick of like sending. I feel like a lot of these videos of people, <laughs> people, I don't know that they're dying in competition, <laughs> but they're certainly tap dancing near the line. <laughs> They may not come back the same. No, ones of just, <laughs> just ones of guys who are, I don't know. Like, I always think the wor- one of the worst ones I've felt has been the helicopter joke. Mm-hmm. Why is it that they're so brutal when, when you just start using, I mean, something that sounds so gentleman-like, a collar joke. <laughs> this is this is the classy of the jokes. Well, it comes down to amount of PSI that can be generated. Okay, PSI, I like this. We sound like mechanics. Let's keep going. <laughs> um, you know, if you, if you think of pressure being applied to surface area, if you have, if you lay down on a bed of nails, you won't, nothing will hurt you because the nails are evenly spread. There's a lot of surface area that the tension is distributed evenly. Next to my dining room table with the presence is a bed of nails, so we really? can try that afterwards. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, that's why, like, you can see all the experiments people do, like to put like cinder blocks, and people hit the cinder blocks, and nothing hurts them. That's because their entire back is distributing the pressure from the needle from the, from the nails. It would be more impressive to have the bed of one nail, mm-hmm. where an individual lays in one nail. But see, nobody wants to do that because it'll go right through them. Right. Um, 
So when you when you think of collar uh, collar chokes, most collar chokes are <coughs> the the width of the collar is the surface area, and then all the power you're applying goes through that surface area. So your PSI goes through the roof. Is that different from, <laughs> let's say, a rear naked choke? Yeah, um, you know, a rear naked choke, you have to, the, the power, the pressure is coming from the entire surface area of your arms, your bicep, your forearm, you know, your your, your hands and so on. Um, where, you know, if a collar choke is far thinner, but you can, even if you deliver the same amount of force to the person's neck, but you decrease surface area, your PSI go through the roof. Okay. Your pre- you, you know, pressure per square inch goes goes up. It also seems like it gives you, oh, if I knew anything about physics, I may be able to explain this more eloquently, but it gives you the ability to, a bow and arrow choke comes to mind where you can, you can pull like away from the body and you right. can just get all of this. Yeah, you get levers and fulcrums involved. Yeah. You couldn't do it just with your body for sure. Collar chokes, I'm guessing, have been around since jujitsu has been around, since judo has been around, because it's just this obvious weapon there that can be utilized. Right. Did your grandfather, did Carlos, when they were starting out, did they have many collar choke submissions that they would use? I'm, I'm sure they did. Yeah. Um, to the extent that we have today, obviously not. You know, the sport is growing so fast that there, there's new variants on old chokes or new chokes that are in its infancy right now what were the like classic collar chokes like like a cross collar choke um that that's probably the most iconic one um the the modification was that my grandfather used to them from the bottom you know where you know traditional judo that wasn't so much the case but there's a variety of them that were hyper effective even even back then are still hyper effective today when you're doing that when he's setting up the cross collar choke from the bottom um, what is different from a cross collar choke on bottom than when you're on top uh realistically not much except for um you know for for a cross collar choke your your true power for your cross collar choke comes from your back from using your dorsal muscles to pull the arms and when you're on top you can pull yourself down to the opponent fairly easy. You just lay down on top of them and you can pull your elbows back and you can engage your back. The problem is when you're on the bottom and you try to do that, the opponent can simply frame the ground and essentially you have to pull yourself up. So the the, co- the energy cost goes through the roof because now you have to pull yourself up to them, hold yourself up and then pull past that. Um, and, and, and what my grandfather did was find ways of, um, you know, disabling or or nullifying the opponent's frames, their ability to frame the ground. In general, do collar chokes require more strength, more finesse than the non-collar related chokes? I think it requires a a deeper, a deeper well of knowledge because there's so many more of them. Mm. You know, a rear naked is a rear naked. There's only one way of, of doing it correctly. And then you have short variants off of it, but realistically, it's the same choke. Where, I mean, if you just look at just the the subgenre of loop chokes, there are a thousand and one ways of making a different loop choke. So, 
to be able to effectively execute one or defend against one, you have to be very well versed in just about every variant or you're going to walk into something that you don't see. There are a lot more variables with collar chokes that come to mind, like having to know how much slack you have to have. If you don't have, if you have too much slack, if we're sticking with a loop choke example, you go for it. And then when you like go to finish, all of a sudden, it's not there. <laughs> yeah, like your your hand hits the mat, and there's just a ton of space. If you don't have enough, then you can't like get your arm around the head. So, yeah, you kind of have to calibrate and figure out, and it really has to change from person to person, doesn't it? Right. That's where time and experience comes in, and just having that that knowledge of okay, with this person, I have to be over here. With that person, I have to be a little bit tighter, a little bit looser, and so on. Is that one of the reasons that you'd say? Gi Jiu-Jitsu is, I don't know if complex is a better word. Complex is a great word. Okay. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, I think I think it takes, it takes far more years to be truly proficient at Gi Jiu-Jitsu than it does at no Gi Jiu-Jitsu. And, and it's nothing against no Gi Jiu-Jitsu. I do like no Gi Jiu-Jitsu. It's just a matter of, if, if you just look at what's on the table, like if you're going to take a list, right? Once you take the Gi off, you eliminate a, a gigantic number of chokes, different submissions, different sweeps that just don't have to be practiced. So you just remove all that. And now you're left with a smaller set of, of techniques. With that smaller set of techniques, it means because you don't have to worry about every single one of those, certain techniques will be higher percentage than others. So then you can eliminate all the ones that are not high percentage. So now you're left with even less. You add on the fact that there's no friction, there's no no need to deal with grips, and then you add a little bit of athleticism and a little bit of sweat, you can have somebody who's a brand new person walking in the gym becoming very tough within six months to a year. Tough enough to be the black belt, probably not, but tough enough to give some blue belts an issue if they're hyper-athletic, give some, some pro belts an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, an example of this is Nikki Rodriguez. He's a purple belt now. He's a blue belt at a DCC. Obviously nowhere near the jiu-jitsu that the guys he beat, but he's hyper-athletic, very aggressive, sweaty, and he's got enough wrestling background. Sweaty. <laughs> that, that makes a difference. Yeah. Some people don't sweat as much, you know? Um, but you add enough, a little bit of wrestling to cover any small gaps. And he was able to hang with some world-class black belts. Now, if you're going to into gi jiu-jitsu and you get a blue belt ready, they could have wrestled all their life. If they're only a blue belt in jiu-jitsu, there's no way that they ever make it past five minutes with a black belt on the, on the mats, especially at the high level, world-class black belt, like a world champion black belt. doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. You mentioned grips when you were talking about, uh, uh, when you were talking earlier. Now, grips with chokes and collar chokes there are different types of ways Absolutely. to hold the lapel mm-hmm. how do you figure how do you decide and know what's the best way to hold and grip during uh, certain a, chokes that's a that's a tough question because i don't know that there's a best way i think each individual choke with, with lapel will require a different grip there are a lot of commonalities but they're not you know you can't say oh this is the best grip because it works in every collar choke that's that's not true mm-hmm. so if we chose a certain 
collar choke, like a like a loop choke. Okay. Can you say what's the better grip, or are there better grips within under the umbrella of different types of well, loop choke? Generally speaking, with the loop choke, you're better off with a four fingered grip. But that's just a general rule because there are loop chokes where you go thumb inside, where you go um, thumb down on the collar. You know, um, there are loop chokes where you grip your own sleeve. So. I think if we're looking at like a general umbrella, loop chokes are better done with a cross collar, four fingered grip. And what's the benefit of that four finger grip? Well, it gives you versatility. Um, there are more options to do loop chokes with a four finger cross collar grip than any other grip out there. Um, it allows you to pull. It allows you to frame on collarbone and stop forward momentum. Um, you can quickly switch it to collar drags and other attacks. So I mentioned that I thought collar chokes are some of the most brutal chokes. I also think they're the most sneaky chokes. I've oh yeah, they're ones that you can just get if if you ha- especially if you haven't seen it before. Just walk right into it. You go right into it. <laughs> what what what's your favorite? What's your sneakiest of collar chokes? My sneakiest. Yeah, what's one that is just oh. like a. I don't, like know if I, I don't know if I have a sneak. I have a couple that I'm pretty, pretty quick with it. What, what are those? So I like my butterfly loop chokes. Which one? Um, and which, what would that be? That's when I'm in butterfly guard and I, I get a, a cross collar, four finger grip. Then I, I when as soon as the opponent's chin clears my wrist, my free hand goes around the head through the Clears your wrist as far as it clears forward. by coming towards you. Yes. Okay. Then my, my free hand goes around the head through um, and under my elbow all the way through and then I, I do a side dip that one that I think is probably one of my favorites and you sh- you've showed that at a couple seminars because it's a phenomenal one for aggressive people it's fast it works defensively it works offensively it can be applied to a number of different guards um, it will work regardless of size uh, if, if there's a failure it lends you in mount I mean it's one of those that's pretty the, the pluses are far outweigh the the cons on that choke. Okay, that's I I that that's a correct answer. Yeah, you're right. That is a good one. <laughs> what what's another sneaky one you like? Um, let me, let me see. Um, I do like when people are in half guard and they're trying to pass by smashing my half guard and they have one leg on one of my legs on their shoulder, one of their legs in between legs and they're trying to like hip down and walk around my legs. I like to go same side collar, four finger grip, but thumb down, and then I like to loop the head okay. with my elbow. I want to hop back while I'm I'm asking favorites of certain types. What are your What are the most brutal chokes that you'll use? The ones you reserve for people <laughs> on like a certain like level of hell that you just you you have to prove a point or you have to really just you, you have no sympathy for them. Oh. um... Helicopter choke is good, especially if they turtle. Um, I'm particularly mean with it. Um, I also like to do, I have a variant on the crowd of the bow and arrow where I bring my legs over their head um, and, and it becomes very, very. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I took a second. <laughs> if, if, describe a little bit more of that one because the bow and arrow one already 
is a very uncomfortable one. Yeah. But just the little tweak that you've added to that makes it makes it one. So that, in a regular bow and arrow, I would have one hand um, over one on the opponent's shoulder, grabbing uh, grabbing the opposite side collar, thumb inside. My free hand grabs the knee. We pivot 90 degrees off of our opponent. We lay them down and we pull our elbows back, extend our legs, and lay down. That'd be a regular um, bow and arrow choke. What the, the what I've done? And I started doing this when I was a blue belt. Um, I don't know why I did. I thought maybe it felt good, or I just wanted to do it. <laughs> um, I take my outside leg, meaning the one that's not over the opponent's body, and I cross it over my arm that's choking them and behind their head. So not only am I able to lay down and pull my elbows back and extend my leg like a regular bow and arrow, I can also now essentially crush the opponent's head down over the lapel. And the end result is you're choking, but it also feels like you're dying. Your head's about to <laughs> pop off like, like a dandelion. Yeah. Yeah. Like something's not going to feel good after this. No. Uh, in competition high level gi jiu-jitsu today are there what are the most common collar chokes that you see most common collar chokes mm, what, um, what's having its moment in the sun right now uh, statistically speaking the the most common collar choke to to date is still from the back people taking the back and using uh, cross collar chokes from the back that's still the just one raw numbers is still the most common why is that because back scores you four, and then if you can find a way to submit without losing that, that's that's a pretty good way to go. So, one reason is because people are, you're yeah. saying trying to, strategically, they're trying to get to the back, and then right. once they're there, is is it that that's an easier choke to get, or they're just people are there most often, and so that I think means people gonna... are trying to get there, mm-hmm. um, especially with the the advent of. Um, bearing bolos and trucks and, and, and these different styles of passing that lead you basically give you a shortcut to the back where you don't have to deal with guard. You don't have to deal with side mount. You can go straight to the back. The rules also favor, uh, the rules are far more lenient now than they used to be. Um, it used to be that if, so, so now the rules are, if I take your back and you look like you're escaping and you, and you make me as a person on your back have to adjust, and I take and I go back to mount, I can score another four where it used to not be that way um, years and years ago. So, you know, taking the back, if I can find a way to take the back, avoiding the guard, avoiding side mount, I should, which is why people do the grand bolos and the trucks and the crab rides and the leg drags and so on. And then once I'm there, if I don't lose it, I can just work my, my collar trucks from the back. Okay. Now, other than that, um, you know, there was a moment where Bravos were huge. You'd see them everywhere. You don't see as much of that anymore. Um, you see a lot of loops, a lot of loop choking. And, and it's a variety of them. It's not fair to say loop chokes because there's so many of them. But if you look at individual loop chokes, they won't, they won't win that number. Are there concepts for a new person starting that they should look at when starting to like go for certain collar chokes, universal concepts that would apply to the broad category of collar chokes. I think I think the most important thing when you're learning collar chokes is to understand what is the function of your grip and where is your grip supposed to be, because not every 
there are collar chokes where your grip physically is activated and it's doing something. It's adding pressure. But there's also certain chokes where your grip is simply an attachment. It has no purpose other than to just hold on. In the example of a, of like a bow and arrow, your grip in the collar is just an attachment. Like you're not doing really truly a whole lot with that. Small things, but nothing major. Whereas in a cross collar choke, the the grip is very active, you know, in pulling and twisting and so on. So I think understanding what is the purpose of your grip and where exactly the grip is supposed to be. Before we hop over to a listener email, I'm going to give you just a, a scenario because it's always good to get real world scenarios okay. for everything we do. Why are you smiling? <laughs> Because anytime I I, talk, I put you in a scenario, you're like at your least comfortable, and that just makes me happy. Okay. <laughs> so, right. so it's winter. We have jackets on. So it makes I'm making this easy for you. Okay. Eh, hold on. No, we're in Miami in 1980. And 1980. Yeah. Neither of us were born. No. So you're gonna have to okay. put yourself in Scarface the whole time. Perfect. That's my reference. Yes. Which is good because in that they wear like sport coats and stuff. So yeah. you got guys walking around with big collars. Yeah, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Why would you wear a sport coat in 1980 Miami? That never. You push the Anyways. sleeves up, so that helps a little bit, I guess. No, it's a stupid wardrobe choice. Well, you also are wearing shoes without socks, so that keeps you kind of cool. Hopefully, it's a lighter jacket. It's not a. No, it's made of like. It's 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 a dumb. All right, well, let's stick with Scarface. Okay. You know, in that movie, Scarface does a lot of, like, a lot of bad things happen because of that guy. Well, how about you could save a lot of people? In this fictional movie. In this fictional movie. Okay. Because he's just, he's walking down the street one day. Uh-huh. He's walking to his next uh, Scarface activity. Okay. And you, <laughs> and, and, and you see him. And you're like, oh, there, there's a guy with a nice jacket, and he walks up and he and he pushes a little old lady down who's uh-huh. walking with her groceries. She probably deserved it. <laughs> okay, all right. The goal of this is not for you to take, kill him, and take over. Oh, okay. The position. <laughs> I, you know what? Far be it from me to, to tell you what to do. So this little old lady falls to the ground, and her apples and bottle of vodka and See, Virginia Slims fly out of her. Like, she's like trafficking some booze. You know, you don't know. So you walk up and he bends down and he takes a bite of her apple and then he looks at you and goes, what are you looking at, you dummy? And he, that's not how he talks. I don't know why he had like a New York accent. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I saw Scarface. And he and he throws the apple just right in your chest. It's probably going to hit me because I won't catch that. Oh yeah, it does. It hits yeah. you and it falls uh-huh. down and then he starts to walk by and he pushes you in the chest uh-huh. and then he just slaps you right in the face uh-huh you're just letting this happen so far oh i mean if he's gonna push me then we'll go wrist lock first well no we're not doing wrist locks we're well, doing but collar but chokes he shoved me it was like path of least resistance okay but he's real fast he pushes you and then he retracts and his wrist okay all right yeah because um, you're still thrown off by oh, the, ab- the whole thing yeah um <laughs> i don't know i'll probably stick to the basics you know double leg take down get to the top as soon as he turns around, because everybody turns around and you start hitting him in the face. No, he doesn't turn around. He looks you in the eyes and, and, and he says, I'm not a coward. No, we're doing collar chokes. We're not doing... Well, everybody turns. Okay, all right, so he turns. <laughs> I mean, everybody turns. You hit him enough, they'll turn. All right, he turns over. And then if we're doing collar chokes, then I'd go for, you know, 
probably something along the lines of like a bow and arrow and stuff. But in a fight, I'd probably just stick to the basics and go like rear naked. But to the to the for the sake of your example, so you're yeah. happy, I, I would go like for like a, a bow and arrow style choke. You put him out. He's now on the ground. You stand up, and he has a key on the ground. Why would I put him out? I mean, he's Scarface. He'll come back. So you kill him. Well, yeah, Nietzsche said that there's no such thing as a defeated enemy, only a dead one. All right, I like this. Yeah, so so you you finish him. Yeah. He's limp on the ground. Uh-huh. The little old lady stands up and is thanking you, and then you see there's a key next to him, and on the key it's labeled, the key to my empire. Uh-huh. So there's you, just one key. Just, yeah. <laughs> they didn't have the technology to have multiple keys, and uh-huh. it was a literal key gotcha. that you'd have to uh-huh. use. And you can pick this up, and you can now take on the mantle of Scarface if, if you so uh-huh. desire. Okay. Do you? Why not? All right. <laughs> oh, man, I wish I could go <laughs> cut to Croiler, like, dressed up in, like, the 80s garb, like, going down, like, the like the strip with the sun out, oh, 80s right. music blaring. Okay, good. All right, that's a, a good way to transition to our email. All right, our listener email today is from Matt. Subject it says question for the lads. You ready for this, laddie? Sure, I guess I'm not, I'm a lad now. All right, so he says, Blue Belt from the UK, listener from the start of the pod podcast. I have a question about attributes slash intensity. For example, speed and strength. I usually approach a role with a very flow, playful mindset, not really worrying about getting a tap or even tapping but more about seeing if I can sweep someone or escape, especially with lower belts. Is this a wrong mindset? I understand that white belts use strength to overcome the lack of technique, or as a beginner, most of us did, but when I roll with higher belts, usually purple, as there are no higher belts other than that at my school, they seem to use strength and intensity a lot. like force, slamming on subs, pushing through things. It's sometimes it's something I struggle with to understand as I am so early in my BJJ journey. And then he, he says, BJJ path journey, in parentheses, for Kip's benefit. <laughs> I like this guy a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> See, I can't get my head around it. Um, I'm told by one of my instructors to ramp it up and roll hard. I can, which gets more success. But is that the point? just to get a tap and focus on a win because I'd rather perform a technique correct and lose than do a sloppy scramble sub and win. That's like kind of a load of Oh, hold on. So as he said that, and you said you kind of like him, he ends it with, by the way, I am also a dear Aries, if this helps. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> we can skip this email. <laughs> um, that's a loaded question. Um, okay. Uh, so the first part. Where to start? <laughs> I can relate to some of that. Because that's something that we've talked about with me about, like being too laid back and playful. Well, n- not really. Okay. So the issue with you is not that you're not getting submissions; is that you're not pulling the trigger. There's a difference. You're successfully landing submissions through sheer technique. You just don't pull the trigger. <laughs> okay. Um, whereas his instructor, his purple instructor. Um, is telling him to add athleticism and, and and these physical buffers to bridge the gap that he currently has, which is which may be poor technique or not enough technique in order to get submissions. And he says if he does buffer that gap, 
with athleticism, he can get a sloppy submission. He can get a tap. That's different from you where you're successfully getting those submissions. You're just not finishing them. You know, it's kind of like, aha, I win, and then you move on, you know, mm-hmm. versus actually finishing the match. Man, that's a really loaded question. I don't know who your instructor is. Um, so I'm going to attribute a lot of this to him being a purple belt. Um, if the higher, if your instructor is a purple belt and the highest rank in your school is a purple belt, that's your problem. Um, there, there, there's a lot of layers to this. If you look at it from your instructor's perspective, as a, as a, as a purple belt, he does not have enough knowledge to be completely well-rounded. He is, as any purple belt, is probably challenged by athletic, tough blue belts. Um, and and he may feel the need, because he doesn't have that, that um, knowledge base that guarantees him like seniority in the math, so to speak, he may feel the need to prove to others that he is better. And those others may be his students, you know. Imagine, I mean, I was this way, you know. I think that if you're a purple belt and you're running a school and then a blue belt taps you, like, I know that can be a scary thing because what if the other blue belts now, they don't have to listen to you now? What if they don't think you're good? What if they don't think you should be teaching? Because clearly this blue belt just taps you. Maybe they should be teaching. So all these things run through your head, but I think that's a very like uh, juvenile mindset, but, but it happens to all of us. And, and juvenile has nothing to do with age. It has more to do with maturity. You know, um, I think Paul Elliott from, from Simple BJJ, he <laughs> He had a very good description of a purple belt, which was like the teenager of the jiu-jitsu community. Mm-hmm. And I think it's 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 accurate. It's a little abrasive, but I think it's pretty accurate to where, you know, that's where you're rebellious. That's where you think you know everything. That's where you feel entitled. The reason why a lot of purple belts skip workouts, um, they they feel like they, they got what they need and they don't know what they're missing. Just, just like every teenager, you know. Um, and, and this is not to like you know, beat down on your instructor. But I do think that a lot of the problems that you're having is simply due to the mentality of, of the leadership. And and he's not doing this because he's a bad guy. He's just doing this because he doesn't know any better. And I think if you stick with him and he gets his purple belt, or he, sorry, his brown belt or his black belt, you'll see a shift in how he teaches and he trains. Um, as far as my advice for you, um, lose lose a lot focus on technique it'll i'd rather have a problem with one of my students that ends up like andrew who is so technically proficient that he gets the submissions but is afraid to pull the trigger than a student who is overly uh, aggressive and buffering their techniques their sloppy techniques to get a few taps that may or may not be legitimate because as they progress long term guys like Andrew will outperform guys that tend to be that tend to buffer their technique you know longevity if you look at the long term you know I think the best black belts in the world are the ones that are hyper technical not the ones that are hyper athletes you, you look at guys like um, Lucas Lepre to me Lucas Lepre is one of the most beautiful jiu-jitsu um, 
examples of jiu-jitsu, competitive jiu-jitsu, he very rarely misses a technique. He very rarely has a flaw in his game. Um, like just these techniques are just so damn near perfect, you know. I'd rather see that in my students than, you know, somebody who like like, um, you know, who's over, known to be overly aggressive, like uh, like an Ali, who is is a very good competitor and does really really well, but is known for his physicality, known for being hyper aggressive. That's to me just not as pretty of a jiu-jitsu. All right, well, that's a good answer. Um, I think that he'll probably. You guys will connect on that because you're both Aries, and so there will be a, a just a basic level of commonality that you guys will be able to <laughs> just kind of come together on. I, I mean, I mean, I don't know what commonality that would be, but okay. But you guys have the same birth sign, so I mean, you're, you're the same person essentially. <laughs> We're not. As, a, as an Aries, how, <laughs> as an Aries, how do you enjoy Christmas? What kind of Aries things do you do during the holidays? I uh, spend time with family. Oh, that's such an Aries thing to say. <laughs> Clearly, I could have said I'm drinking. Uh, I'll drink water with my family instead of saying. Yeah, yeah, you would have said that. That's, that is <laughs> time and again. All right, so we will uh, we'll end this episode, and we're going to be celebrating Christmas. The rest of you listening have already celebrated, so we will have our next episode be our New Year's episode. Yeah. All right, everyone, have a fantastic week. We will see you later.